Welcome to Useful Idiots. We taped this episode just as the Capitol was being stormed, so we don't respond to it because we just didn't know it was happening. But we will, of course, cover all of that next week. Uh, the good news is that no matter what happens, the story of Julian Assange and the assault on free press are still relevant. Thank God for small favors. Thanks. Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. And uh, another week has passed. Another week has passed. It has. We are that much closer to death. <laughs> what if during this week, though, there's a dis- medical discovery that gives us some more time in our lives? That's slow. That slows the process down. Yeah, but I guess still it would take a week off. No matter what, we're closer. Yeah, we're closer. Do you remember mo- like when you realized you weren't young forever? Like that wasn't in- an inherent part of your being? Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm a person who started losing his hair pretty early. So, yeah. Oh, there's so you that, like that older thing. identified. Early, right. How old were you when you started losing it? Like if 20s. I may ask. Yeah. Oh, so that gave you, that's why you're wise beyond. I also years. had a near death experience in my right. 20s. So, yeah. yeah that, that, uh, Does that, that make that you was... appreciate? Do you, have, do you feel like you have a new lease on life or something? Does that make you appreciate life more or no? Not at all. Uh, it actually triggered a long period of, of, um, risk-taking and extreme responsibility. Uh, so it was probably a, not, uh, a net negative in the, in the end. Right, it, yeah. it brought you closer back to that death. To right, death. yeah, right. exactly. Anyway, we're gonna just skip over the fact that the the Senate is in complete disarray. Oh yeah. Uh, now, thanks uh, for, the, for the Republicans, and probably a lot of people are happy about that. Um, and that was a big political story that's exploding right now. I mean, uh, we paid attention to it, but we need to process it more. We need, that's right. That's what happened. We need to it, it, wasn't, it, it, it wasn't that we weren't like tuning in and waiting with bated breath for the right. result. It, it's just more that we were and we need to think about actually what yeah. happened. So uh, that's why we're not commenting. So, okay. So there was a lot of stuff that happened this week. We're going to um, go through a, a bunch of it and then we're going to have a guest that's going to talk uh, to us about a story that did not get a lot of play in the media this it's week. unbelievable. Uh, but uh, really should have because it was a pretty remarkable uh development and then uh we'll just move from here to the food groups i guess right okay, great yeah uh, my democrats suck is just the re-election of nancy pelosi It'd be the only thing I've, i i think is worth pointing out about the about pelosi remaining in the speaker's position is that you know there are there are a lot of people who um have very uh, high expectations that there, this is going to be a period of tremendous change uh, you know, now that Trump is leaving and, you know, potentially the Senate is in play, you know, the people are having fantasies about Kamala Harris casting deciding votes on life changing legislation. I think everybody just needs to remember who is who these people are. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi is a person whose net worth, depending on whose assessment of her financial disclosure you're paying attention to somewhere between. 120 and 160 million dollars. Uh, she, her name has repeatedly come up in stories uh, that prompted the move towards the Stock Act. Once upon a time, uh, which was designed to prevent uh, members of Congress from personally cashing in through stock trades and things like that. Uh, there was a, v- a transaction involving Visa that she got uh, that was highlighted. You know, Nancy Pelosi's a her her role is to be a representative 
basically of you know, oligarchy. The, yeah, the, the oligarchs. Yeah, uh, oligarchs. Yeah, as, as Bernie would say. You know, she she's she's a non-change agent. She's a status quo agent. She's a status quo agent. She's very practiced at doing stuff that is good for TV. Um, right, ripping you know, they, up the speech. Richard ripping up the speech. The Kente cloth scars, whatever oh, it is. Right. It, she should have. You know what she should have done, honestly. If she were a change agent, she would have worn the kente cloths, been on the knee, ripped up a speech, and then clapped. That's how you know she's falling off. She doesn't have it all together. That's how you know she's getting a little old, because that's the Nancy Pelosi that I know and love. Um, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi, to me, is ridiculous, right? Like, the the the, the thing that, that happened with the ice cream yeah. uh, was, to me, like, perfectly emblematic of everything those politicians are all about. They're completely clueless. They've been living in extreme uh luxury for so long that they they just they don't know you know it's not yeah they don't even know it's bad optics yeah exactly so um and she's just one of many she she, of course she's she's the the leader in in the house and that's an important role but you know as what she's a symbol of is is really a system-wide phenomenon that is all about money flowing into the political system and making sure that that voters in general um, are paying attention to something else rather rather exactly. than you know and so so she's good at that and that's fine and, and and this whole idea of upholding you know certain characters is supremely virtuous while the the supreme evil is on the other side and essentially they're pretty close to the same kind of political animal like i don't know it's yeah and it, one it is like socially tiring. Yeah. And, and one is socially more socially liberal, uh, you know, better on social justice issues or civil rights. But like as we talked about with um, with David Sirota, like you can only be so good on those issues when you're not good on on economic issues you or know, like or war. Right. Yes, exactly. When you're right. When you are hawkish, which let's just admit, like the Dems are that they're not some peace party. Right. And right. in fact, they were wanted Trump to do more say, uh, saber rattling. But right. You cannot remember a reminder. You can't be uh, woke nationalist. I mean, you can, but you're not woke. Right. Right. You or, can't ca- or care or, about or, racism in or what? Sorry. Or, or woke means something else. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yes. Right. 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 But you can't woke nationalist. I like it. it's a good term. But you can't uh, care if you care about racism within the borders of the United States and you don't care about it outside the borders. Yeah. If you're if you're worried about uh, stop and frisk and 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 preemptive policing, but you don't particularly care about drone bombings in right. Yemen, like yeah, you know, there's there, there's a there's a disconnect there somewhere. And then because I don't think we set it up that. The deci- that the point is that Pelosi was reelected Speaker of the House, right? Spe- I'm sorry, she was, yeah. she was reelected Speaker of the House. I didn't didn't mean she was reelected. She was reelected to her leadership position. And the, the issue is that she shouldn't have been rewarded for losing a lot of House seats, right? And there were not concessions, right? That's a big issue. Yes, there's there's that too, and we're going to get into some yeah. of that later. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff right. going on there. I guess but... like why I'm just trying to in a, if you could put in a sentence why Democrats suck, it, it's because they didn't replace her. Right, and they and they wouldn't even think to replace her. Right, I mean that's. I, I, yeah, why are I, they I, so I scared of her? Expectations of of, of right. the Democrats that other people do. Like to me, this is who they are. They're, they're right. They take tons of money from 
assholes and then they pretend to be something else and that's fine it makes sense that she was re-elected but you know we should we should still, still get disappointing wrong. yeah well disappointing so um so what do we have for republicans suck uh for republicans suck i'm gonna read a story uh from democracy now which is about uh nebraska governor ricketts under fire for racist exclusion of undocumented workers in vaccine rollout so in nebraska governor pete ricketts has come under fire after saying undocumented workers at meatpacking plants will not be eligible to receive the corona vaccine um, and he said, you're supposed to be a legal resident of the country to be able to work, to be to be able to be working in these plants. So I do not expect that illegal immigrants will be part of the vaccine with that program. And quote, workers in meatpacking plants have suffered some of the nation's worst outbreaks and estimated 14 percent of or more of Nebraska's meatpacking workers are undocumented. So that to me is such a great Republican suck because it's xenophobic, uh, racist, whatever. There are a couple of adjectives we can choose from. It's also stupid and self-defeating. But it but that's is the, that's the thing. It's like, we can analyze this. It reminds me kind of when work, like uh, white working class people vote against their own interests. Uh, this could not be a better metaphor for how destructive this stuff is. Now, at the same time, wealthier people have better medical access, right? But Literally, this is a communicable, this is a contagious disease. Like you could hate undocumented people and see them as subhuman, which obviously I'm not at all okay. <laughs> That's not the useful idiot's position. I'm just trying to explain why this is so ridiculous. Like you don't have to be progressive. You can believe in like closed borders. I don't care. I mean, you're whatever. The point is, why don't you get that this is not good for you? Right. Like yeah. you are just increasing the spread does this guy just not believe in it? First of all, his name is Ricketts. So maybe he's upset. <laughs> maybe he feels like he doesn't like diseases being pathologized. So he's, right. that's why he's downplaying uh, COVID because his whole life, maybe he's been like, had Ricketts jokes made about him. Right, right. But, uh, You're looking a little pale. How you can, yeah. You know, got enough vitamin D or is it a, yeah. a vitamin D disease? Yeah, right? it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's all about the D. But seriously, like what? what is wrong with him? What is wrong with these people? Uh, I mean... And Look. he's he's not like an ignorant. Well, he probably is, but he's not powerless. He's not some like struggling, uh, you know, d duped guy. Well, probably also uh, he's got a bunch of followers who don't think that this is a very terribly serious disease. So maybe there's that. And you know what I would like to do? I would like to write a screenplay about, about any governor getting yeah. pricked with any governor getting pricked with anything. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, whatever. It could be the flu. It could be. Yeah, it could be the flu. Yeah, it could be a road. OK, here, I'm going to say it openly. I I want that governor Ricketts to be pricked with a rose. Pricked with a rose. But then, you know, what he's going to do. We're going to put him in a coffin. We don't have to kill him. <laughs> Why do I say coffin? I knew you wouldn't remember this, Matt. If you would, you would have been totally on on my team on this issue with me on this issue. Remember that Peruvian mayor? Yes, the who Peruvian mayor, yes. 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 yes, so this is actually, we are, it's a callback. It's an homage to the Peruvian mayor who was maskless and hid from authorities when he was gonna get arrested. Yes, I, but you're talking about the Jumping in a coffin and putting on a mask, which was amazing and pretending to be dead. So yeah, sorry. Now no, you can no, push no. back on my fantasy. No, 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 I'm, I'm not. Your your fantasy's fine as is. I don't. I, don't, I, don't I actually think it's justice. I think it's like that's a totally fair thing to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He should, and he should be in there with a couple of undocumented factory workers who right. then give yes, but they are given treatment. And these are meat processing plants. Yeah, meat packing plants. Yeah. So just he should be in a coffin with a couple of undocumented workers 
and just all of them slather in meat. No, yeah, well. I don't think the undocumented workers. I think just meat. The I think uh, I think a cow, an infected cow, just some just thrashing around in there. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, a thrashing <laughs> infected. <laughs> Even that I feel bad about. I mean, let's say he already had it. And he, there was no hope for him. So mm -hmm. let's say a, de a beyond repair cow. Uh, a lot of death in this theme. Some slathered raw meat. A decay. Right. I want a live cow that's about to die. Then I want a decaying, decomposing cow corpse. So that to horrify the other cow. No, just to have him be with it, to have the governor Ricketts. The this is feeling like governor. a Tom Green routine a little bit. Yeah. Or or it's feeling like maybe, you know, justice. It's feeling like or, or that. like rule of law. It's the rule of law. It's, <laughs> it's the Constitution. But like he's yeah. And I won't give him the treatment, but I won't put the undocumented. I'll just have a Spanish a speaker blasting Spanish, Spanish language. And I'll have instructions in Spanish on how he could potentially how, access. How to get out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how to get out of this coffin filled with uh, thrashing cows and yeah, infected yeah. meat. Yeah. How to get out of a, co a I coffin. I wish I had listened harder yes. in school during the I wish I had not dehumanized lessons. people. Yeah. yeah. But seriously, get pricked. Okay. Okay. Uh, isn't that terrible? Yeah. News from the BBC. Amazon buys its first planes to expand air network. Most people are going to say, so what? Of course they have planes. It only makes sense that they have planes because they're moving so much product. But to me, this is like the first step. You know, it's going to be these sort of airliners first, but eventually they're going to be having warplanes and attack helicopters and Amazon is just basically going to rule the earth. Do you ever read Catch-22, Katie? Uh-huh. Remember Milo Minderbinder? He was the he was the sort of symbol of capitalism. He was yes. the cook in the mess. And he, he just sort of started slowly expanding his operations right. until eventually, like at the end of the book, Eminem uh, Enterprises was like both sides of the war and they were they were bombing each other. And like this to me is the first step towards that dystopian reality when <laughs> basically everything is going to be owned by Amazon. Uh, and this photo that we're looking at is sooner or later going to be, uh, you know, warplanes, rockets, ICBMs. You know, it'd be right. great if, if Boston Dynamics humaned these planes, not manned them, humaned them. Yeah. Oh, yes, that would be great. What do we need pilots for? Dancing um, robots, remember? Yeah, dancing robots. That's From right. Last week. Yeah, no, I think I think eventually what's going to happen with Amazon is that they're going to have drones that will drop off a package in, I don't know, let's say Djibouti or something like yeah. that, and then and then fly off and liquidate a couple of people associated with uh, Al Nusra or something like that. Right. You just bomb an area and then you drop some like supplies, right. medical yes. supplies, which you then somehow right. charge the victims for. Yeah, and well, or, or you or you you drop a bunch of iPads so that they can order the supplies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But uh, what do we have for? Isn't that weird? So for isn't that weird? Um, we have something that's uh, it's weird. It's also kind of heartwarming, perhaps. Um, reading a tweet from Uberfacts. Let's see. A bite from the Brazilian wandering spider can cause an erection that lasts for up to four hours. Here's my problem with that. There's no link. Why hasn't Twitter done that thing that they do where it's like people don't know if this is true? You know that Twitter warning? 
Right. This could. This is kind of misinformation or disinformation. They're leaving us hanging. Star.co.ke news. Was that Kenya, I guess? Misleading is the headline. Fact checker. Misleading. Bite from Brazilian spider causes four-hour erection. High or low blood pressure. Fast or a slow heartbeat. Nausea, abdominal cramping among signs. But urologist Dr. Peter Mungai said penile erection involves neuron stimulation and production of hormones, which has nothing to do with the spider bite. In addition to intense pain and possible medical complications, the bite of a Brazilian wandering spider can deliver a long, painful erection to human males because the venom boosts nitric oxide, a chemical that increases blood flow. So wait, hmm. is it true or not? I don't know. I choose to believe it. I'm very confused, but yeah, there's a scary... Uh... What does the spider look like again? All it right. does not look like an erection-inducing spider to me. Well, what would an erection-inducing spider look like? Like, would it be a, a sexy spider? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what I expected to, to, to look like, but that that is isn't expected here. to have a, like, erections here? How many, do we, I wonder if what the likelihood is that we have actually list, listeners slash uh, viewers who are sexually attracted to spiders. Yeah. If you are, get at us. Right to us. Tweet yeah. at us. Yeah. And yeah, uh, we, would, we would like to discuss it. We would like to discuss it. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, that's the four food groups for this week, right? Yeah. Katie, you have a dog, right? Yes, I do have a dog. She's so cute. And did your dog help you through the pandemic? A lot, actually. Yeah. Bodie, they, right? Bodie, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I actually texted my mom to see if she could bring her here, but maybe she'll charge me for that uh, access. But yeah, Bodie is the cutest. We have three dogs, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. We are a tri-canine household. Uh, and two of them are brothers. They're like pugileers, I think. And then Bodie is a Lhasa Apsa and has a lot of personality. And yes, they've been very therapeutic. They are unofficial therapy dogs, I would say. So that's a good thing, right? That you have a, somebody to help you through this time of need? Somebody, that's cute. Yeah. Somebody. Is that a somebody? I guess it could be. It's a body, right? Yeah, you're right. I think yeah. of them as human, but yeah. So, you know, Matt, it's interesting that you asked me that question. You know why? Uh, why? I have something to share with you. What is uh, that? Well, I don't know if you know this, but from the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart has been an essential retailer, making sure you can get everything your pet needs right when you need it at over 1,600 convenient locations. And they lead the pack. So to speak. With safe and easy ways to shop. In Petmark stores, cleaning and disinfecting protocols follow CDC recommendations. Face coverings or masks are required for employees and pet parents. Floor decals, signage, and new protocols reinforce social distancing requirements. Plexiglass shields are in place at registers as well as salon and pet's hotel lobbies. Stores and grooming salons offer digital check-in, curbside drop-off and pick-up and contactless payment. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to do my first ever ad read. And, and especially for this company, PetSmart yeah. has responded to the unprecedented demand for contactless shopping by adding curbside pickup for website or app orders. And you know, and PetSmart offers a free same-day delivery uh, powered by DoorDash uh, straight through January 31st. So you can get everything for your, your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it. PetSmart Associates really love pets. Caring for them is a big part of why they work there. And as an essential retailer since the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart has made, made it safe and easy for you 
to do care for your pet too, online or in stores. Matt, you may not know this, but at PetSmart, the health and safety of employees, pet parents, and pets are what's most important, which is why they require face coverings, support social distancing, and have installed plexiglass shields and enhanced cleaning to follow CDC recommendations. Are you interested in contactless shopping? It's the only kind of shopping I'm interested in. Well, then you know what? You're in luck because you can just order online at PetSmart.com or on the PetSmart app and enjoy easy curbside pickup or free same-day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st, 2021. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it. Check out PetSmart.com for more details. Excellent. We're going to talk to Italian journalist Stefania Morizzi about uh, the big news that uh, extradition for Julian Assange uh, was uh, denied. But then so was bail. Right. Yes, exactly. So um, we're going to talk to all about all that and uh, let's get to it. Great. Welcome to Useful Idiots, uh, Stefania. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Matt, and thank you, Kathy, for inviting me. All right, excellent. Well, we're here to talk about a subject that uh, I, I'm sure, to your great surprise, did not get a ton of press coverage here here in the United States. <laughs> um, but uh, there was a pretty significant development in international news. Um, a British court finally issued a ruling um, about uh, Julian Assange, and it was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, on the one hand, there was a bit of a surprise that they denied extradition, uh, but the news was not all great uh, from his point, uh, perspective. You've been covering Assange and WikiLeaks for quite some time. Could you could sort of sum up for American uh, viewers who maybe don't know the whole story, what happened in this case, in this last ruling? Yes, of course, Matt. So first of all, you have to realize that today Julian has been denied bail. So he will remain in prison, which means he will spend uh, months and months before um, in these horrible conditions, because uh, you, you have to, re to realize that the judge, uh, the British judge, Vanessa Baraitzer, denied um, extradition to the U.S. On the, exclusively on the basis of his mental and health conditions, which are very serious. And uh, I want to discuss how it was sad to, to witness how his, his health uh, has been collapsing in the last decade, uh, because I've been there from the very beginning. I mean, I have been working uh, for my newspaper. I've been working on the WikiLeaks documents and so in, in partnership with Julian Assange since 2009, which means 11 years. And basically, the last time I met Julian as a free man was the 28th September 2010, 10 years ago. Wow. After that, I, I have always worked uh, with him for my newspaper. Uh, Which is a Republica Expresso, right? Is that, is that right? It was, Matt. It uh, was. But uh, I, at a certain point last year was basically, I find myself into the condition of decided whether to go ahead with my work with La Repubblica or to go ahead with my work on WikiLeaks and I left mm. La Repubblica. And today I'm working for another major Italian daily, which is Il Fatto Quotidiano. Okay. So basically in this uh, last decade, I have worked on 
um, these uh, all the uh, WikiLeaks secret documents. I have never worked with Julian Assange as a free man. The last time was the 28th September 2010. Then I work uh, with him as um, under house arrest. Uh, then inside the embassy for seven years, where I witnessed Julian Assange health collapsing literally day after day, because I have visited him many times, so I was uh, I was able to witness this process. And then now he's uh, inside this high security prison in Belmarsh in London, where in the middle of, of a pandemic, he has uh, lung problems, which I have basically reported on since uh, 2012 when he took refuge in the embassy. So it's a nightmare scenario. I mean, he will remain there for probably for years until this uh, appeal uh, is uh, out and it will take, uh, will take so long that uh, we, we really don't know what is going to happen to him. They are, I mean, provided that he doesn't get COVID, be, it will have very serious consequences. So, so the, 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 what has to uh, play out legally still is the appeal of what just happened, right? Is, is, is that right? Yes, this morning. So and uh, the judge decided to deny bail. She had completely accepted all the arguments by the U.S. government that he, he could basically escape from justice, so he has to remain in prison. And this is Wednesday, just so people know when we're saying this morning, right? So this is yes. we're recording on Wednesday. Um, and is it correct? I mean, it, it sounded to me, or it read to me, like, uh, the judge basically said uh basically said he was guilty of things but her concern was that she didn't believe that he would be able given that he's suicidal she didn't or he or depressed i don't she didn't believe he would be protected he could be kept safe from self-harm in the united states criminal justice system which was a kind of like bittersweet thing, like a victory defeat also. It was basically like the U.S. criminal, and this is someone who's not critical of the United States in general, right? And is not pro-Assange. I mean, this was a major criticism of, of that. And we can talk about her conflicts of interest, but it was like stunning to basically like incorporate that, and it's good she did, I guess, but to incorporate that into her judgment, like given that it's easy to kill yourself in the U.S. jail, uh, and given that, I guess I want to know your thoughts on that. And also, if you thought that that was related to what happened to Chelsea Manning, where she, when she tried to commit suicide, her her punishment was being put in solitary or her, you know, I guess they said this was to save her life. But of course, that is considered by many people to be torture, solitary confinement. So, yes, absolutely. Um, the judge mentioned Chelsea Manning, of course, and her attempt to commit suicide. Uh, twice, and uh, the judge was very uh, openly critical of, uh, about the um, prison conditions in the U.S. and the detention conditions under special administrative measures, very strict conditions, very serious isolation, which, uh, of course, has an impact on a man who has spent 10 years detained 10 years without an hour outdoors. I mean, I mean, without uh, proper, uh, uh, I know, you know, we have some horrific, uh, in Italy, we have some horrific prisons for mafia bosses, for mm. 
people who do horrific things even to children and so on, but they get an hour outdoors. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. human rights. And Julian Assange has never spent an hour outdoors while he was inside the embassy. So you can imagine if you get to the US and he get under house, under special administrative measures, the so-called SAMS, and then he get inside the ADX Florence, which is the horrific prison where the narco uh, drug dealer El Chapo is basically in prison. He, this will have devastating consequences on him. And the judge was very open about the impact of this. So it was an open criticism and acknowledgement of the horrific condition, prison condition in the U.S. I mean, I've heard people have different takes on this. The, if the judge is responding specifically to that narrow issue, if there is a change in his health going forward, uh, could the extradition request be then granted? Like, in other words, what are, what are the possible outcomes going forward? Because it's, it's, it sounds to some people that I've talked to that this was kind of a cop out for buying time uh, and didn't really resolve the issue one way or the other. And he, he kind of remains in, in a kind of purgatory in the same way that he has been for, for a while now. Uh, is, yeah, is anything right. really different or? You're right. You're right. Absolutely. This, this judgment is, a, uh, let me say, it's a real disaster. I mean, it's a real disaster on many aspects. First of all, as you said, it can be easily bypassed by the U.S. on appeal. They can say, we will offer you diplomatic assurances that you won't be put in these extreme conditions. You won't be treated with extreme um, special administrative measures. You won't be sent to ADX Florence. They can give this kind of diplomatic assurances and they can win the appeal and get him extradited. So it's a real disaster. I mean, it's we were happy. We couldn't expect he would not be granted. Uh, he would not be extradited in this first step of the legal um, legal process. But when we read the sentence, when we look at the sentence, the sentence is horrible. They, uh, she knocked down the journalism. She knocked down the political uh, nature of this uh, persecution and prosecution. And she destroyed the old work of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks uh, and says that's not responsible journalism. You know, responsible journalism is something that in Italy we know during fascism when Mussolini wanted to create the basically the a new kind of journalism during the regime. And so he was calling for responsible journalism. He was, was trying to establish who was responsible and who was not responsible. So this is this sentence is devastating and can be easily bypassed by the U.S. on appeal. Is there any indication that the incoming Biden administration might have a different attitude about this case than the Trump administration did? Well, this is an interesting question. And uh, you know, uh, it's very hard to assess where Biden is when it comes to the Julian Assange case. At the same time, if we look at this decade, 
basically the Obama administration started all this prosecution from the very beginning, as soon as they published uh, the um, collateral murder and the Afghan warlocks, they immediately opened uh, basically a um, grand jury investigation of WikiLeaks. And let me tell you, uh, Matt, that I never heard of a single media organization which has been kept under investig continuous investigation for an entire decade. I mean, I have been in this business of journalism. I have been doing uh, journalism for the last 19 years, 14 of these in investigative journalism. I never heard of a single media organization which has been put under investigation continuously for the 10, for 10 years. And under investigation with very intrusive, very, uh, you know, very um, uh, draconian laws like the national security laws, which allows you to put people under interception to get search and seize warrants, secret warrants. So I never heard of a case like this. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Obama administration opened this investigation back in 2010. But at the end of the day, they never charge him. The Obama administration never charged Julian Assange. So we can guess there is some, some difference between the Obama administration and the Trump administration, which basically charged Julian Assange as for his extradition and so on. Let's hope the Biden administration will, will change the, the course of this case, but you know, it's possible that they don't want uh, yeah. a case up to the Supreme Court about the Espionage Act because, you know, there is no public interest. So the, it will be a strong constitutional test, you know. Just to clarify, he's he's a, was he allowed to be on that the balcony like he was allowed to be outside like that or twice or three oh. times. Three oh, times. so th that wasn't even a regular access. He didn't even have no, regular no. access to that. Wow. No, absolutely. No, wow. because it was not allowed to go out just three times in seven years. Wow. Uh, and then can you just remind or introduce people? Because one of the really tragic things uh, about the, the story is that people, a lot of people don't know what collateral murder is. Like, of course. So, you know, that's the crime but no one's talking about that. So can you explain to people what that, that video showed? Well, basically you have to realize that WikiLeaks until, uh, basically until April, 2010 was basically unknown to the great majority of people. It was known of course to uh, people, journalists like me who was, I was watching WikiLeaks from the very beginning back in 2008. And I was impressed because the first time I, I look at WikiLeaks uh, was in 2010 and they had published things like the Guantanamo uh, operate, standard operating procedure manual and the Pentagon had tried to get this document removed from the website. They said, no, As I, I was shocked. And I was like, is that a media organization which basically has the, <clears throat> has the courage to say no to the Pentagon? I mean, you have to realize that in those days, the media were completely, <clears throat> you know, completely, um, uh, completely accepting the, the Pentagon uh, narrative. They, uh, the, the New York Times refused to, to use the word torture. 
for the enhanced, they were using enhanced interrogations. The Washington Post didn't publish the names of the Eastern European countries where the CIA had black sites because the Bush administration had asked them not to publish them. So it was a very, very bad, very dark time for journalism. So when I watched WikiLeaks saying no to the Pentagon, I was, you know, I was so impressed. But back then, no one knew WikiLeaks. The, the people heard about WikiLeaks in April 2010 when they published Collateral Murder, which is a video basically provided by Chelsea Manning, who is one of my heroes, basically, uh, formidable, you know, journalistic sources, one of the most important journalistic sources of all times, who leaked this video, uh, basically showing an Apache helicopter uh, shooting on innocent people in Baghdad. And uh, as the crew was laughing openly at this massacre of people, you know, and that was uh, very impressive. The Reuters, among the people killed by these Apache helicopters, there were two Reuters uh, staffers, and the Reuters had tried to get a copy of this um, video from the Pentagon using the Freedom of Information Act, but they were refused to, um, to, be, to get a copy. So when, they, when we got these images, when we, we could see without any kind of censorship, it was something very, very, very important and explosive. And the Pentagon was furious from the very beginning. They were really upset. You can imagine what it means to have all these major news organizations say, yes, we won't publish the, the names of the countries where you put, you have your own black site. We won't call the torture, torture. We, we will use enhanced interrogation. And now you have a media organization publishing these documents and say no to the Pentagon when the Pentagon has them to remove it. They were upset. It was a kind of atomic bomb for the Pentagon, for the national security complex, the U.S. national security complex, you know. And that, that's why they want to crush him and they want to crush WikiLeaks so that, so that they stop publishing and they send a message to him and to everyone, to every single journalist, don't mess up with us. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Could, could you uh, walk, walk our uh, audience through what the charges are? Because really, I think there's a lot of confusion. Um, a lot of people in the Trump years assume that these charges had something to do with the Russia business. Um, but they really, it's 17 charges that are connected to the national security laws, the Espionage, Espionage Act, and then one is the sort of quasi computer theft charge. But what, what, are, what are the implications of um, a conviction on charges like that for journalists? Well, implications are devastating because the only reason why Julian Assange is basically in prison and they, the US want to extradite him and put him in prison for life, 175 years basically, is just because he published uh, the, uh, the secret documents on the Afghan wars, on the Iraq wars, on the, the US diplomacy cables and the Guantanamo fights, nothing else. They don't want, they have never have charged him 
for publishing the the democrat the US democratic emails like the uh, DNC emails or the Podesta emails there are no charges at all about the Russia gate the whole case is about these crucial publications uh, about the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq about Guantanamo and about the cables so i mean you have to realize what these documents have allowed to reveal. Let me mention just some of the revelations because I have worked on all of them since 2010 and I still keep using the cables. Whenever there is some major uh, thing, I look at the cables mm. and search for anything because this is what's very crucial about WikiLeaks. They make the documents available. So they empower communities, they empower journalists, they empower scholars, they empower NGOs, which can access the documents independently without any privileged access, without calling journalists, could you please allow me to access the documents? You can go on their website and look for the documents and, and make your own opinion about whatever you want. You can go to your, the European Court of Human Rights if you are a tortured victim, as it happened in the case of Khaled del Marshri. He was kidnapped by the CIA, he was tortured, he was uh, raped by the CIA due to a mistaken identity, you know? And he was able to appeal to the European Court of Human Rights only thanks to the WikiLeaks cables. So these, these documents are extraordinarily important. The Afghan, the Iraq war logs, for example, allowed to reveal 15,000 civilian deaths never accounted before, 15,000. I mean, you know, these are not statistics. These are human yeah. beings. So they have families, they have children, they have, you know, so these documents are tremendously important and he's paying, he has never known freedom again after publishing them. He's in prison only for publishing these things. And let me tell you, during the hearing, basically, the US mentioned that he had put lives at risk, yeah, which okay. they, they have said these things from the very beginning. I remember the very first time they introduced this allegation, it was July, 2010. Uh, it was about the Afghan warlords. They said they might have blood on their hands. And everybody was uh, basically repeating the Pentagon allegations. Uh, he might have blood on their hands. They might be put lives at risk and so on. Well, 10 years later, we had this hearing in London. And I was there in February in person because the, we had not this crisis, this COVID crisis. Well, the U.S. was unable to mention that to bring a single example of a single person, of a single victim. No one was injured. No one was killed. No one was put in prison. No one was tortured after 10 years, which means a long time. After 10 years, they cannot bring a single example of a person who was damaged by this publication. So we are still discussing the victims that never were and we don't discuss the millions right. of victims. You know, this is why I'm telling we are we live in a world of propaganda and the media are the mainstream are, media are assisting this propaganda. They keep saying they put lives at risk when 
10 years later, there is not a single victim. And the U.S. cannot even bring a single example. You can imagine that if they just had an example, right. <laughs> they would publish all around the world. They would make press conference and uh, press re reports of all sorts. They don't have a single example, you know? Well, isn't there also a contradiction? Because uh, if these are so, so dangerous, then why did these outlets print them? Like, you can't print them if they're that dangerous. You know what I mean? Like, you can kind of pick one narrative or the other. Absolutely. I mean, I have been there. I have published the Afghan war logs, Iraq war logs, uh, cables, Guantanamo, all of these for which is in prison and risk 175 years. No one arrested me. No one put under, under investigation. I have been able to do this completely safely. Right. And all of other colleagues did, you know? They just targeted him. Even know? the Times and the Guardian, right? These very Absolutely. Yeah. Even the Washington Post. The, what, yeah. the Washington Post, I remember it, was there since, at, since the Guantanamo documents. I remember we met in London to work on the Guantanamo documents. So the Washington Post, Julie Tate, from uh, a researcher for the Washington Post, was there. And we worked together on the document. None of us have been put in prison or even questioned, you know? This is uh, it's, uh, such a big injustice. I cannot tolerate it. I cannot stay silent because I have a conscience. I cannot, I, I have to use my safe position to speak out and denounce this persecution, you know? Do you find it odd that that so many people who did partner with Assange, either directly or, or indirectly, um, kind of don't have anything to say about this issue, especially in the United States, it feels like. Like this, the blackout of news about Assange is almost total, unless there's something negative that they want to say. Uh, and we can talk about the story about charges in Sweden, because there's a there's confusion about that here, too. Um, but does it surprise you? I mean, have you ever talked to American colleagues? Like, what, like what's going on? Why, why, why is there not more uh, I tried, discussion? Of I tried, Matt. I tried. But there is a wall. They say it is a matter of being objective. So they cannot speak out because they have policies inside their media organization. So they are not allowed to comment. They are not allowed to sign petition. They are not allowed um, to speak out because they not, they cannot do it. So, you know, so it's very sad to realize because all this persecution was basically basically possible only thanks to the silence of this uh, big media organization, because at the media organization immediately uh, supported them from the very beginning, uh, the situation would be completely different, you know? Do you I think, think a lot of that attitude changes because of what happened in 2016, because of, because, you know, journalists have lingering resentment over what they think uh, took place during that time, or is it is it some other reason? Well, if you ask me, of course, after 2016, things get worse, if you ask me, get mm. worse. And they said, oh, he allowed Trump to be elected and, and he's in bed with the Russians, all sorts of things, because from the very beginning, it has been a smearing campaign uh, initially about the um, uh, they put lives on, on risk due to the publication of uh, Afghan war logs. Then it was about the Swedish case. 
then it was the, about the Russians. So, I mean, all, every time you have all sorts of pretexts not to side with Julian Assange and to, be, uh, to show some empathy as a human being, you know? Right. I don't know how, <laughs> look, I don't know how these people can sleep at night. They know that they were there. They know that they published the very same documents. They know that they got scoops from him and from the WikiLeaks uh, organization. And they, they, you know, they, they got an advantage when it comes to their careers and their work. But they are silent. You know, it's a very, from an ethical point, I'm very, very upset about this. You referenced the the Swedish case. The reporting on this has been very strange, and and um, I think you had a good point about this that uh, I never got to write about. I, I thought maybe this would be a good opportunity to, to discuss it. There's frequently a reference in the United States to this idea that there were charges uh, leveled against Assange in Sweden, and that's not, it's not correct. Uh, and a recent decision by Sweden to abandon the case didn't mean they dropped charges. It's there, there never were charges, right? Uh, what, what's your understanding of what actually happened there? So you have to realize that I know that case very, very well. Why? Because back in 2015, when he had already spent five years uh, basically arbitrarily detained, and this is not my opinion, this is the what the UN body in, in charge of establishing who is arbitrarily detained established. The UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention established that Julian Assange has been under arbitrary detention since 2010, okay? So it's not my opinion. I, my opinion is not relevant when it comes to arbitrary detention. This is the, opi the opinion of the UN body in charge of establishing who is arbitrarily detained. So back in 2015, when he has already um, been under arbitrary detention for five years, and he had already spent three years confined in the embassy, I realized that no one I tried to get the documents about his case, to reconstruct the case factually. So for me, it was incredible because dozens of journalists have reported on this case and no one had tried to get factual information. So at that point, I decided to look at the case, to, at the Julian Assange case. And I talked to a prominent Italian prosecutor and he told me, why he's in such chaos? Why this, this case, the Swedish case, doesn't make any progress? And they said because the Swedish prosecutor don't want to fly to London to question him and to decide whether to charge him and to put him under trial on trial for these uh, um, allegations of rape or to drop the case once and for all. And the prosecutor told me why they don't want to do it, because we, we traveled the world. We went to Brazil to question very dangerous mafia people. So why they cannot fly to London, just two hours flight, and question a peaceful man, not dangerous at all, and decide whether to charge him and to put him on trial or whether to drop the case once and for all. And they said, really, I don't know why. And he said, the prosecutor told me, you should try to understand this point because this point is crucial. You should discover why they don't want to fly to London to question him and to decide whether to charge him or to drop the case. 
So at that point, I used the only investigative tool that I could use. I filed a freedom of information request in Sweden, and I was lucky. Probably the Swedish prosecutor said, oh, she's an Italian, who cares about her? And they released me very important documents, crucial documents, which basically allowed me to reveal why they didn't go to London to question him. Basically, it was because the UK authorities told them, don't come here. Question him only after extraditing him in Sweden. Wow. And they provided him in documents saying, uh, the, the Swedish prosecutors wanted to close the case in 2013, and the UK authorities were telling them, don't close, don't you dare get cold feet. So I wow. got all these documents from the Swedish prosecutors, which I, I believe, as I said, I believe they just thought she's an Italian, she write, will write something in Italian, who cares about these Italian things? And I published this story, this investigation based on these crucial documents. And it was very important. I had basically uh, on these documents, the, pre the, um, the, suite, the UK prosecutor telling, don't come here, don't close the investigation. And after publishing those revelations, they completely stopped cooperating with me. That was the last time the Swedish authorities cooperated with me. After that, they tried to stop my freedom of information request in every possible way. So at the end of the day, what do we know? We know that basically in Sweden, Julian had sexual uh, intercourse with two women. In one case, it was about sexual molestation and coercion. And the Swedish prosecutors let this allegation expired without ever charge, without ever questioning him, which is unbelievable because they could have basically mm -hmm. questioned him immediately and they could have charged him for sexual molestation. They didn't. They let this allegation expire. And since you um, basically a person under investigation cannot oppose the, the um, statute of limitations in Sweden is not possible. So Julian Assange has, re has this allegation always around Hanging him. over him. Exactly. Okay. As a sexual molester, you know. As for the rape case, you have to realize what the, the allegations are because, again, there have never been charges. They never charge him for, uh, for um, rape. So the rape is something that uh, is not rape in other countries, but in Sweden they call it, rape, call it rape and they have all the rights to call it rape. I mean, I'm happy they have serious laws about sexual violence, but apparently, according to the Swedish prosecutors, Julian Assange didn't use the condom at the request of his partner. And this is rape, according to the Swedish laws, even if it is the less serious crimes, because they have three kinds of rape. So it's the less serious crimes. So if he ended up in prison, if he was ever charged, he was never charged, they kept this investigation at the preliminary stage for nine years without ever charging him and without ever dropping him. There were never ever charges, which is, it, is unusual. 
I I never heard of the anything like this. You know, they could have just go to London, question him, decide they had enough evidence, charge him, request his extradition for putting him on trial. Whereas they never go there until until when? Until November 2016. So they waited three six years, which is unbelievable. You know, unbelievable both for Julian Assange, for the the alleged victims, and for the case because it, it makes sense to question people under investigation when the facts are fresh, when the memories are fresh. You know, they waited until November 2016, and they finally went. To London, as he had already requested from the very beginning, from 2010, he had always requested them to go to London rather than extraditing him to Stockholm. So they finally went there and they decided to close the investigation. This investigation has been open and closed three times. Initially in 2010, basically, it was open the 20 August 2010. It was closed. Five days later, it was reopened the 1st of September 2010. It was kept frozen for six years. Then it was closed. Then it was reopened again in 2009 when he was arrested. And finally, they dropped the investigation once and for all in November 2019. So it's, a, it's an incredible, it's an, an absurd, highly unusual handling. And my freedom of information litigation, which has been going on since 2015, five years, basically has allowed to reveal the role of the UK authorities telling the, the Swedish prosecutors, don't come here. And you have to realize that these UK authorities, which did this, are the very same authorities in charge of the US extradition. And when I tried to discover why you did so, what, why you put, why you told the Swedish prosecutor, don't come here? What kind of interest that you had? I mean, wasn't this a Swedish case? Why you asked, why you told them don't close the investigation back in 2013 when they wanted to close it? When I tried to discover this, my lawyer, and I, my freedom of information lawyers and I, discovered that they had destroyed the documents. Hmm. They say, we won't provide you the documents because we destroyed. And we said, look, you destroyed documents about a criminal case, which is still ongoing and highly controversial. They said, yes. And we said, what did you destroy? We don't know. So they, they claim they don't even know what they destroyed. And this is the agents in charge of the U.S. extradition. Did they say why they destroyed it? They destroyed the documents and they officially acknowledge in their sentence because we are fighting before a tribunal. So they have to provide evidence before a tribunal. They said we destroyed. We don't know what the, we destroyed. We don't know when exactly, why, and, and so on. And we don't have any idea what those documents contain. And this is the agents in charge of the U.S. extradition, the Crown Prosecution Service. Not to harp on this too much, but just to make sure that I understand, because I did ask some reporters who had used sure. the word charges 
right? And and the answer I got back from a couple of different people was that um, it was a semantic issue that uh, was based on Sweden having a very different judicial system where charges usually come very late in the process. And so that they, if they were tempted to make a change, they would say something like in effect charged as opposed to charged. Absolutely. But it's, it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that from your first freedom of information request that you, you have a, you have a concrete proof that they were actively delaying the charging process. No, right. actually, uh, so it's really important to understand that there is nothing, you know, there is nothing unique about the Swedish legal process. Okay. They basically, they basically uh, opened this investigation and it was at preliminary stage. But usually uh, there is, um, uh, after, in this preliminary stage, prosecutors are supposed to question the person under investigation and they have, after questioning him, they have to decide whether to charge him and to put him on trial or whether to close the investigation. So this is this works this way in all around the world. You have to question the person under investigation. You have to decide whether to bring charges or whether to drop the investigation. In the case of Julian Assange, they were, there were never charges never have always allegations you know mm-hmm. and the reason why there were never charges is because that they, they didn't go there to question him but they could have easily done it and right. they could have decided okay we have enough evidence to charge him whereas they went there after six years after six years which is incredible so then at the end they decided not to bring charges they said well, we didn't bring charges because uh, he took refuge in the embassy and so we could not question him and we could not formulate bring charges. And uh, now it's too late and uh, it's um, nine years. So we, we won't charge. We will close the investigation. This is completely false. It has never been like this. I mean, they could have immediately questioned him. And in fact, Back in November 2006, they did question him inside the embassy and they decided to drop the charges. So they were, when people tell you, well, of course, there were never charges because he's escaped from justice. And so the prosecutors could not charge him. That's false. That's absolutely false. You know, they could have questioned him immediately inside the embassy as they did finally, you know. And they could have charged him for rape. They did not. And can I just ask a question about the rape uh, char- definition? Is it is it that if you don't use a condom despite the request, that it's the lesser rape? Or is it if you don't use a condom despite the request and you don't tell the person? Well, apparently she was sleeping, according to the um, prosecutors. So she was sleeping. And so this intercourse, they had intercourse before. And she had asked him to use a condom, condom, which he used. And apparently then she was sleeping and he didn't use condom. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we don't know because we have his version. Yeah. We have her version since there was never a trial, since right. there was never, you know, never charges. We don't know. We just have his version and her version. 
you know? I mean, you well, could argue that she was incapacitated. So you could say it was that. But I, I think that like so, an uncomfortable thing we have to say is that if that were true, that's a separate issue. Like you can try him for that, prosecute him for that, charge him for that. But that has nothing to do with his uh, what he's in, been kept in an embassy for and what he's being prosecuted for. Absolutely. They yeah. could have immediately. They, right. could, they had enough evidence. They could have immediately questioned him and charge him. They yeah. never did. They right. never did. That's that's the real matter. They never did. Yeah. So they were never ever charges. That's why I I had the um, confrontation with the Colombia uh, journalism review because during the hearing, the extradition hearing, they published an article saying there were Swedish charges, rape charges, and I wrote them and they said, look. look there were never ever charges, just allegations. Is the, res the lack of response by the American media to the Assange case, is that remarked upon by European journalists? Um, is that something that people talk about? And that, that's part of the question. The second one is just overall, what do you think the impact of this case is going to be on um, whistleblowers and leaks and efforts to um you know release information about things like war because it seems it seems already like we're seeing less coverage of issues like that in the united states anyway well i think the impact will be devastating of course uh, if you look at this at the judgment uh, the judge the british judge makes make clear that basically what he did Publishing evidence of war crimes and torture goes beyond responsible journalism. This is completely unacceptable. I mean, uh, this is why we do serious journalism, investigative journalism in our countries. We do it to expose war crimes. We do it to expose, you know, torture. So we, if we cannot do it, what should we do? I mean, we are supposed to do these kind of things. It's our duty, you know, and we we should do it safely because this is what the difference between a democracy and an authoritarian state. In an authoritarian state, you cannot do it. They will kill you or they will put in prison. We should be able to do this. But in addition to this, you know, it's devastating even in terms of... Um, of this uh, double standard, you have the Blackwater people pardon free as the air, and you have Julian Assange, who, is a, who exposed war crimes in Iraq, who has never known freedom again. How can you accept, even if you are not a journalist, but you are just a human being, functioning human being, you know, how can you accept it? It's kind of like John Kiriakou, right, being the only person to go to jail for uh, exposing, you know, CIA torture. Absolutely, absolutely. But in this case, uh, it's uh, extremely serious. The John Kiriakou case was extremely serious. Uh, he was a source, of course. He was a conscientious objector, you know. But in this case, you have a media organization and a journalist. So That's you expect, yeah. you know, you expect, and they want, as I said, I, I'm very intense when it comes to this case. I'm very intense because why? Because I'm really upset. It's not just because I have worked for 10 years on the same things. I'm unsafe and he's crushed. They, they are smashing him. They are destroying yeah. him. It's not just for this, 
but it is also because I feel the urgency, we cannot lose this case. Because if we lose, if we allow them to put him in prison for revealing war crimes, it's at the end of journalism. I want to live in a society in which you can expose war crimes and you can do it safely without uh, trying to kill yourself as Chelsea Manning did or without escaping to Russia as Edward Snowden. Right. I want that you do it and you are safe because this is how democracy should work, you know, and freedom of the press in a democracy should work. If it doesn't work this way, it's not a democracy, you know. I just have a couple uh, final questions. But from my understanding, it's not even that covered in Europe. Natalia Viana told me that the Brazilian journalist who works with WikiLeaks um, then wanted to uh, know about the spying that happened um, that went on at the embassy of journalists and the response of journalists or lack thereof. And and also, if you think that this the decision of uh, the British judge uh, was to prevent kind of like instantaneous martyrdom. So first of all, the press coverage in Europe, we see it's getting a bit better in these days. So we see regular coverage by The Guardian, who was very, which was very hostile to Julian Assange and basically published completely unreliable um, do, uh, information about uh, the Paul Manafort visiting Julian Assange, which was never, ever <laughs> proved by anyone. And The Guardian is uh, basically unable to provide any evidence because, you know, we the embassy was the most building in the world they will if Paul Manafort had visited Julian Assange, oh Manafort okay Paul Manafort yes Got it. Paul so, yeah. Manafort you could have seen video pictures right. or whatever and, and they cannot bring a single shred of evidence that Paul Manafort visited Julian Assange and that was a major story published by the Guardian who basically which basically had contributed to destroying Julian's reputation or even the attempt to escape to Russia. It was completely debunked. It was completely, was complete nonsense. And the Guardian was basically put into the, was basically forced to amend their article and issue an apology for, uh, uh, because it was not true. I mean, it was, not, they were trying to get some kind of diplomatic protection for him. So it was never about the plot to get him uh, uh, to get him Russia and things like that. So all these stories did a lot of damage and uh, helped to uh, assist to this uh, demonization campaign, especially after 2006 and the Russia Gate and so on. They greatly contributed. Now we are see we are seeing some progress. The Guardian is uh, finally on the right track and the Guardian is uh, finally realized the persecution of Julian Assange. But, you know, it took all these 10 day, ten years and this, um, you know, this prosecution using uh, draconian law like the Espionage Act, you know, and the risk of 175 years in prison. It took all this for The Guardian changing his approach and publishing an editorial opposing extradition. So now in Europe, at least in Europe, we see it's getting a bit better. In US, it's not getting better at all. I mean, 
Uh, I don't see any proper press coverage in the U.S. about this uh, this case. I'm happy that there are some independent reporters like Kevin Costola and yeah. uh, um, and Richie Ricky Mudhurst. And they are, and Glenn Greenwald is uh, trying to boost and trying to give some uh, prominence to their to their reporting, which is yeah. good. But uh, there is an appalling silence, a deafening silence by the by the U.S. I mean, if you consider the espionage uh, activity targeting all of us inside the embassy, the Ecuadorian embassy. And unfortunately, I was uh, very heavily targeted and I filed a criminal complaint. So if you take those, uh, that case, uh, so the Washington Post had one of the top reporters, Ellen Nakashima, covering the national security, covering national security for the Washington Post. Yeah, she, and, she's in she's in their like squad of most trusted intelligence friendly reporters, right? Yeah, she's very trusted. I imagine considering the kind of stories she publishes, so she's very trusted. She visited Julian Assange once inside the embassy. They took their SIM card from their phone from her phone. You can imagine that in the telephone of Ellen Nakashima, there are many mm. interesting things. As you can imagine, right? So, so I can imagine they did with my phone. They took out, they unscrew secretly my phone as I was meeting Julian Assange. I filed the criminal complaint, and I wonder why Elena Kashima did not. You know, right. if someone open your phone, unscrew your phone, and take out the SIM card, I suppose you file a criminal complaint. She right. didn't. It's very weird, you know, it's very strange. And imagine if uh, Putin had done something like this, putting the microphones inside the bathroom, the women bathroom, and putting the micro secret microphones all around the room inside the embassy and taking pictures, getting all our conversation recorded and getting all uh, my devices accessed, and they knew I was a journalist. I, I can imagine we would see a press coverage mm -hmm. all around the world saying, oh, these, dictator, these dictators do horrific things to journalists. There, is, there yeah. was no press coverage in the US about this case. No, nothing. Uh, the only international media reporting on it, it was El País, right. the Spanish. Because they, Garçon was a lawyer, right? Because the Spanish judge and a, and a Spanish security firm was was uh, absolutely. Right? But there was no press coverage by the U. Just an article by the New York Times, which is unbelievable. I mean, if Putin had done anything like that, it would be a worldwide scandal. Three days of press coverage and cables and <laughs> you know CNN, nothing, absolutely nothing. And how did you find out that they had done that to your phone? Well, I have pictures. Apparently, they were so silly, so stupid that they took pictures of all my devices and they sent in a, to a server, to a um, um, device. And now we have this kind of experts in Spain trying to get who access this uh, computer system where the pictures of my devices were found, basically. So I have videos, unfortunately, of me 
talking to Julian Assange, all was filmed and recorded. It was really, really upsetting. You know, it was, uh, especially if you consider that back in 2008, when I started looking at WikiLeaks and uh, working at the work, uh, I did so because one of my sources was terrified about being spied. So it was at that precise moment that I told myself I had to find a better source protection. I have to start using encryption and very sophisticated tools. And at that time, back in 2008, the only media organization in the world which was provided cryptographic protection to sources was WikiLeaks. No one mm. else, not even the New York Times. They started many years after WikiLeaks and only thanks to WikiLeaks pioneering this uh, use of encryption. So 11 years after, when I discovered that the Spanish, the Spanish company had access to all my devices and I had very important information with me, unfortunately. Fortunately, it was encrypted. So when I discovered this espionage activity is targeting me and my devices, I was really upset and they said, I want to discover what they did, what, what they were able to access, whether they were able to decrypt everything. I want to discover this. And that's why I also want to file a criminal complaint because I want the, the prosecutors which have the power to intercept people, question people, arrest people, gather evidence, solid evidence, so I can be, you know, I can be sure what they did, hmm. you know. But Ellen Nakashima did not. So I wonder why. I mean, I, I tried to contact her and I tried to ask her, do you want to join our criminal complaint? The Spanish, the German colleagues have a complaint. I have a complaint, so you can join us if you want. She never replied. She never filed a criminal complaint, which is, I don't know why. Did you see them remove the SIM card or you found out because because of people doing an investigation? Basically, the Spanish investigators right. are, um, are gathering all kinds of evidence about the espionage activities. And I got access to pictures and videos of their activities targeting my phones my devices and so on. And I got the copies of the videos with me and Julian discussing. They were gathering everything. They were collecting all our conversations and so on. So that's why I have evidence, thanks to the Spanish investigation, basically. Well, thank you so much yes. for coming on. I really, yes, really appreciate so it. And- um, Hope it was uh, helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. It's very helpful. You're obviously among the most knowledgeable about the subject of anybody in the world. So I think it's uh, you've done a great <laughs> service for our our, uh, our audience. Thank you so much for coming yes, on. I really you appreciate so much. it. Thank you. And and thank you. Thanks so much. Thank yes. you. Have a great right. night. Take care now. For you. Bye. Well, that was great. That was that great. That was great. Yeah, it it's was. Amazing. It's so pathetic that there's not more coverage of it. Um, shout out to the handful of reporters working on this. But uh, I do want to say one thing about the rape discussion, which is that I actually don't think that it's not rape. If I, I think it's rape if someone's asleep, um, but because they're incapacitated. But I still think that that's a different issue. Right. And this is kind of an uncomfortable discussion. And people definitely use that as a 
uh, a way to like the ick factor that you talk about. And I, I guess I'm saying this like as a feminist who takes this up seriously, I think that we can do both of those things at the same time, um, which is acknowledge that that were that to, that I think that falls under that definition. Um, but also what I guess we'd have to have a lawyer on, but what would it look like if they were just pursuing that? Cause, cause that's not part of what's happening now. Right. Like, no. so like he could have been a murderer and he still shouldn't be doing going through what he's going through. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I, and I've had this discussion with, um, other people in the media, other people who, um, are very familiar with the Assange story. who have done a lot of work on it. There are a lot of people out there who don't like him. Right. Um, I think that people should understand that. Uh, and, you know, my position on this has always been that there's there's really two issues here. In, in one, even if you stipulate that all the worst stuff that's ever been said about him is true. Yeah. Like the rape case, um, the the computer intrusion right the cracking of the hash right. which is one of one of the counts um in this case even if he's a terrible person and all of that stuff is true the case itself has these implications that go so far beyond him that you know i think i think that it's incumbent upon everybody in the media to pay incredible attention because essentially what this is all about is if if you publish something like the collateral murder video right and by the way there's no legal right to classify a war crime like you can't do that it's like that's that's the government does not have the right to hide that from you so what they're really saying is if if you publish stuff that um we find embarrassing we're gonna put you in jail for the rest of your life yeah right and and that has huge implications for um you know, for anybody who works in the national security business, because the way they structured this complaint is it, it charges him not just with publishing, but also with receiving, conspiring to receive. So right. e even if you just see without publishing some of this stuff, you can be thrown in jail forever, which is terrifying, right? Uh, so there's that question. And there's the other question is, is all that stuff true? Right. And, yeah, and we've never gotten a chance to have that adjudicated because because this process, he's been stuck in this Kafkaesque process for a long time. Now, some people would say that's because of his doing, because he's he's been hiding in the embassy. He's been evading justice, as, as she pointed out. But um, but they could have they could have pushed that along earlier and had a resolution earlier. And I don't think they I think they intentionally didn't do that. So that that's all I would say is like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's totally fine to be mortified by the case if that's, you know, the, if that's how you feel about it. Yeah. Um, but it has nothing to, nothing do, to do with, with the, the, he, yeah. the legal issue. Right. In his yeah. case, which is like transcends him. Anyway, uh, really interesting stuff. And uh, again, not that Americans didn't have a lot to digest, but it, it was pretty amazing that, that that didn't get a whole lot of play this week. So it, it was great to be able to talk to her. And um, thanks for hanging in with us this week. I know yes, we had a lot, a lot of uh, stuff Don't... that was both real and truly important and, and, and joke important. Yeah. But but, um, but thanks thanks for listening. Thanks for, for hanging in with us, not hanging out with us. That's Matt right. trying to show, not tell the, you know, calling in, calling out. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll see you next Thank week you. on Useful Idiots and uh, rate and review and uh, uh, and and don't Great watch reviews, any subscribe. other shows. Don't watch any other shows. Subscribe by clicking subscribe and the bell. Yeah.
Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.